Good evening, everyone. Whoa. Welcome to the Poetry Project. Um, I'm so excited for tonight's reading with Kamon Felix, Portia Olayawola, and Denise Froman. I hardly want to say anything, but yeah. I want to keep things quick because I'm so excited for the readings, but I do also want to um, give these readers their due and also let you know how things will go. So I will give an introduction for Kamon. She will read. Then I'll introduce Portia. She'll read. We'll take a very brief break. And then when we come back, Ricky Maldonado will introduce Denise Froman. So... Kamon Felix is a poet, political strategist, media junkie, and cultural worker. She received an MA in arts politics from NYU, an MFA from Bard College, and has received fellowships from Kave Kanem, Kalalu, and Poets House. The 2012 Pushcart Prize nominee is the author of the chapbook Yoke and was recently listed by Black Youth Project as a black girl from the future you should know. Her first full-length collection of poems, Build Yourself a Boat, was a 2017 University of Wisconsin Press Brittingham and Pollock Prize finalist, a 2017 Fordham University Poets Out Loud semi-finalist, and I think is out now? Not yet. Is almost out from Haymarket Books soon. When I read Kamon Felix's work on the page, I can hear how they happen. She scores with space and parentheses to show you breath. She breaks her lines frequently right at the point of exhaustion, and then she picks them up again to say, hold on, we are going to continue. We are going to see and hear and physically experience what it is to endure, what it takes, what it makes possible. I think there is a thread between the formal vision of Camon's work and the consciousness of generations that frequently surface in the poems. Where are the points of breakdown and survival? What is lost, inherited, divined, reclaimed between the ancestral and the future? How do we keep getting to now, over and over and over again? In a piece for Winter Tangerine, she says, quote, I write to find out what that middle is, what it means to be beyond the endpoint of survival, what it means to be beyond and ahead of death, about what's next for black life, about the possibility of black life living infinitely. I call it the world of post-survival. When I read that, I think about the relation of the body to time and place in Camon Felix's poems. What the body bears, state and patriarchal violence, the violence of a broken justice system, broken healthcare, housing, education systems, and how the poems refuse to be located by that burden, reaching instead toward what is infinite and unextinguishable in the poet. 
the personal meets the theoretical meets the political, the ecological, the stage, the page in these poems because why should we be observing boundaries between any of these dimensions? The fabrication that they exist separately from one another is intended to keep us from using the available tools. Camon Felix is too brilliant to abide by convention. Please join me in welcoming her to the Poetry Project. When you see a person you really, really are happy to see, do that thing where you say hi. Hi. You're all really, 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 really pretty. You're so welcome. Um, <laughs> it's, and it's like really, really ugly outside. Like super ugly. So it feels really special to be in this room with people who are so warm and so careful and so gentle. And it has been a real long time since I've been in a space like this. So... I'm super grateful and super honored and super excited to be here with Denise, who I haven't seen in years, and Portia, who I don't even think I've met in real life yet. Um, and so excited to be here with the Poetry Project and with Kyle and Ricky. It's just, you're both so amazing. So I'm going to read some poems. Lost Poem 4. The psych duty on triage asks me if I want to die, and I say, no, not at the moment, but stay tuned. I can charm my way out of anything, including his seven-day suggested stay, those ugly gray mornings buzzing in infrasound. I can save my own life just as easily as I can corrupt compounds of ripe silence with just a mouth drown it out of its own sound. This is what makes me dangerously compatible with death, me and my ability to finesse choice out of desire, the talented tenth of disassociation, the power of being just a body within a body of jewels. Um, so this poem that I'm about to read is called The First Time, and I want to take a second to dedicate it to um, women and to queer people and to the queer diaspora. Um, this poem is actually coming out in Out's new edition or new issue next month. Um, and it I don't know if you guys have been watching, but it's the issue that has um, the first cover, I think, ever of all just trans women. Um, and it is an honor right now in this moment to be a femme working with other femmes, especially queer femmes and trans and gender nonconforming people. Um, and so this is dedicated to them and to how much men hate us. The first time. Eve sits in marvel at the beauty of the new being, welling her fingers over the new taut skin, watching the little mouth sing agape with the coils of sleep ringing through it. For the first time since the first time, she is abuzz with the blood of creation, with the newness of human accomplishment. 
Adam sits at the opposite end of the green field, watching the mother and offspring wade in a language he does not understand. He is ashamed of his delayed body, ripe with abrasions of powerlessness. He picks away at the limbs of a leaf, seething at the sorcery, everything out of reach. Man's insurmountable vista, the first one, the beginning of what it means to not belong. Cutting with JB. JB's getting her ass bust in the other room. We can hear the clap clap of wet flesh over the whip of the ceiling fan above. The heat in the projects is always on and thick and coming for your edges, except for the days when you really need it, when it's five degrees with wind chill and housing won't come fix your broken bedroom window. It's half past midday, and by now I'm bored enough to maybe consider going back to school, but they won't let me in this late in the day anyway, so I've got to sit with the decision I've made. No one's looking for us. Emmy's mom died five weeks ago, so as far as she's concerned, what the fuck is a parent? I've never had a best friend before. All the books say that when your best friend's mama died, you ain't got no mama neither. We spend our days in patient wanderlust, living off sheer probability in a series of cheap, rancid thrills. It is really weird and interesting watching your siblings grow into human beings like real people who like breathe and shit and can clean themselves. Um, and it has been really fun and awkward to see my siblings grow into human beings. Um, they are so human that they tend to ask me for things like money. Um, they steal my clothing. It's really tragic, but it's nice to watch. So... <laughs> This is dedicated to my little sister, whom I hated for quite some time. <laughs> she, yeah, she'll be all right. Imagine my sister, an astronaut. When she was small, I couldn't see her. I held her hand in tendered obligation, fed her because she was hungry, slapped her because she spoke. One day, she stole my underwear. I climbed to the top of our bunk beds, my waist a cradle over hers, my fists a, a marsh of dead moons shadowing her little face. After two taps, I felt the monstrosity of my putrid desires flatten, my intrinsic knowledge too Suddenly too afraid to bruise the small genius, the strange foreign god of sisterhood. It was then I knew I loved her something bad. She was off to college, going to study some aerospace, biomedical, nanoscience shit, some shit only white people think to study because access is a frame of reference and organizing principle. In the family group chat, she sweats us out with her excitement about next semester and 8 a.m. trig. In high school, I failed everything. Graduated with underwhelming decimals, the dark trauma of men lining my transcript, but baby girl has got something I don't, and it's called discipline. And it moves her through the world slow and deliberate, all the night a platform, all the trains just stations away. She's off to space camp in a few weeks and so fucking casual about it. I say, hey, maybe you should be an astronaut. Yeah, whatever, I'm thinking about it. <laughs> As if it were a breakfast burrito or mommy's oxtail. My young girl, 
my night driving a needle through the inflated boundaries of ambiguous sciences, I think, shit, imagine my sister an astronaut, my lineage narrated through the brat of my heart into the prodigious stuff of the stars, towering in bigness, bigger than you and you and you and you and you. Okay, I'm about to get a little intense. Okay, about to get a little intense. Sorry in advance. I do that sometimes. If you follow me on the socials, you'll know that that's just sort of my going brand. Floral intensity. Red lips, red lip always helps, so, you know. Um, yeah. I, I was going to add another premise, but fuck it. Thank God I can't drive. My brain is trying so hard to outrun this. It is doing more work than the lie. I could go to jail for anything. I look like that kind of girl. I only speak one language. I am of prestige, but can't really prove it. Not if my hands are tied. Not if my phone is seized. Not if you can't Google me. Without an archive of human bragging rights, I'm fucking nobody. An empty bag, two-toned luggage. I'm not trying to be sanctimonious. I just found out that I'm afraid to die. Like, there goes years of posturing about, beating it like I own it, taking it to the bathroom with the tampons. Like, look at me, I am so agent. And with all this agency, I can just deploy death at any time. The truth is that I'm already on the clock. I'm just a few notches down on the black girl with bad mouth list. The street lights go out and I'm just at the mercy of my own bravery and their punts of powerlessness there. Who the, who the hell do you think you are? Okay. This is a new poem. So thanks in advance. Sorry. Also, new shit. New shit. <laughs> it's been a little while. It's called, okay, so here's what really happened. The morning after his birthday, we lay in the cusp of our bed. I reached to check the time, but on his phone instead of mine because it was closer, but also because a pesky impulse sent me to look and I honor my mischief. One lone text flashed white on the panel, quote, I'm so in love with you. I wish it were me with you last night instead of her. At first, I smiled in innocence at the warmth of it. I love to know that my love is loved, a natural symptom of narcissism or gratitude. A beat later is when my pulse sunk and fell into the humble hunger of disgust. Who the fuck is this? Wait, I know who. And I asked him weeks ago if there was, and he lied, but the lie isn't the surprise, the harm is. 
I shake him awake. Are you, I ask, are you in love with XXX? I feel a warm panic. There's no way he'll say yes. He says no. I am in, quote, love with you, but the tether is missing from his eye. He is lying to me. His betrothed, his promised, I call her from his phone. I want to know how long. Apparently, he had been planning on leaving me. Apparently, she had been planning on waiting it out. Apparently, I had been planning on being married, so none of it aligned. None of it made any sense. Then the screaming, then the stomach-binding rage of being let in on a secret that canceled you out. Then the blinding rage of being the woman unwanted. I wanted her dead, flattened. I wanted her insignificant. I wanted him, and I wanted him to be sorry. And I wanted to be the kind of woman who could go unaffected by such blatant ignorance. How dare he eclipse me, make me ugly. How dare she even fucking breathe. I've been trying to write this poem for two years, the one in which I tell the truth in the plainest language I can find. It's when I tell the truth that I can shame my devils. I was in love, and he left me in a pool of my own desire. He was leaving me for a woman barely half of me, cutting me down into corners and discarding me in pieces across a city I opened to him like a gift. Oh, you like that? Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Um, <laughs> uh, praise God, praise God. <laughs> Name of the Lord, in the dear of the Lord. Um, uh, Tanya Harding. How many of you know and love Tanya Harding? Because I fuck, the gag is, that bitch is a Republican, but I fuck with her the long way. She's so fucking lit. Uh, it just, you know, I, there are a couple things in my life that I'm ashamed of. One of those shames is being like, I don't know, maybe like four. And when, uh, what's, what's the other one? Uh-huh. And... <laughs> just goes to show you how like the black shade works right because like I used to figure skate I know all these hosts but <laughs> the, the I will all I know I'm going to hell for this but when Nancy Carey got her leg broken there's just, just the one clip of her just like screaming into the floor just like oh my god it was like you have a bruise like you're fine she was fine she broke it and then she won I can laugh at her now <laughs> but um that image was stuck in my head for most of my childhood, and it wasn't until the new Tanya movie that I was able to figure out why it resonated so much with me. Um, so I'm going to read that poem to you, and then I'll just have one more, and I'll get the fuck out of your face. <laughs> You're like, stay. No, I really can't. Um, <laughs> This is a palindrome, so I'm going to read it uh, forward, and then I'm going to read it backwards. Just stay with it. Tanya Harding's Fur Coats. The thing about being poor is that you spend your days pointing in quiet humor, noting every motherless origin, every gap in the moral fortitude of the wealthy. You know a coat is never just a coat but a dead and fresh animal stripped and bled, all for the affirmations of our curational pieties, our inhumanities bold and big-hearted by the casual pleasures of warmth. 
It's in the kill that we see how poverty precludes the conceit of envy. In the fog of my first tunneled spiral, I saw the drug of that magic, that blade in the shoulder of grace, that cold floor, a galley of small stars. I learned the artifice of falling, and gravity is but a single tiny hand of compulsive insignificance. There I was, welled in tar and fat and committed to this violently brave sport, a girl unusual and generously unashamed, my face still freckled with the glee of bare-stripped winters, me and my ego pretending, bringing us down into a two-footed spill, Demeter and her crops in rot. What even am I except a perpetual resident of cold endings? The knee snaps and that was that. But did you do it? Are you sorry? But did you do it? Are you sorry? The knee snaps and that was that of cold endings. What even am I except a perpetual resident, Demeter and her crops in rot, bringing us down into a two-footed spill of bare-stripped winters, me and my ego pretending my face still freckled with the glee of sport, a girl unusual and generously unashamed, committed to this violently brave. There I was, welled in tar and fat and of compulsive insignificance, but a single tiny hand and gravity is falling. I learned the artifice of that cold floor, that galley of small stars, that blade in the shoulder of grace. I saw the drug of the magic in the fog of my first tunneled spiral. How poverty precludes the conceit of envy. It's in the kill that we see pleasures of warmth. Our inhumanities bold and big-hearted by the casual. All affirmations of our curational pieties. Animals stripped and bled, but dead and fresh is never just a coat. You know a coat of the wealthy. Every gap in the moral fortitude. Noting every motherless origin in quiet humor. The thing about being poor is that you spend your days pointing. So this is my last one because I'm truly tired of hearing myself talk. Um, and I, it has been years since I have heard Denise. And I don't think I've ever heard Portia in real life. And this is like a gift among all gifts. So I'm going to get the fuck out of my own way <laughs> so that I can participate in this joy. This poem is called No Shade, Though. <laughs> <laughs> what I mean is all shade, nigga. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> so ratchet. No Shade, Though. <laughs> Daisy, you'll love this one. <laughs> a faculty member thinks I am too involved in my own nostalgia. I say, what nostalgia? You mean black nostalgia? If I can't recall the land of my umbilical severance, then there was no navel to begin with. When the memory finds the self tapered and running out of space, it goes around asking for its name and praying for the yes of a right answer. That's not nostalgia. That's a requiem. You assume that the source material of a collective bleed could only be a misunderstanding of placement. The fuck you mean? I know where I am. These are the Americas. It is 2015. I know my name and why I'm not dead. That is more than you can say for you. Knowing is superior, is infinite. 
to, to think nostalgic is to want for something more beautiful than what sits dead at your table. What we'd share tomorrow has starved overnight. What we'd share tomorrow has already left its stink in the bed. Thank you. Thank you, Kamon. Thank you. I'm not going to quote any of Portia Olayawola's work in my introduction because it is just too predicated on astonishment and I don't want to ruin anything. But I do want to give some tips on listening because she is listening. She is listening to the rhythm and pitch of different speech and calibrating it, notching it up so incrementally we often don't know when or where or how the boom began to happen. I suspect that it is always happening. There are no safe moments. I've only ever seen recordings of her performance and can't wait to finally see her perform in person here. But even on a screen, with my headphones on, I'm amazed by the trance she makes from language. She's absorbed data, narrative, feeling, and the mechanics of speech and meter to take us to a whole other plane and then another. I think it's important to note how utterly incendiary her command of craft is because I also think it's analogous to her vision of the system. She sees how it works, all of it. How the enforcement of borders is bound up in the market, food and water insecurity, police brutality, violence against women and femme and queer people. There are no single issue issues, she reminds us again and again. Portia Olayawola is the 2014 Individual World Poetry Slam Champion and 2015 National Poetry Slam Champion. In 2018, Portia was named by GK100 as one of Boston's most influential people of color. She's the artistic director at Mass Leap, a literary nonprofit organization in Massachusetts serving youth artists. She is an MFA candidate at Emerson College and has a full-length collection of poetry forthcoming in 2019 with Button Poetry. As an educator and organizer, Portia seeks to cultivate spaces for emerging artists that allow them to deepen their understanding of craft and community. She has served youth artists in the city of Boston for the last six years and continues to grow spaces for artists and audience of the art. Portia Olayawola is the current Poet Laureate for the city of Boston. Please join me in welcoming her to the Poetry Project. excited to be here with you all. Um, I'm going to be doing um, parts of a choreo poem that I wrote in October. Um, yeah, so it's just an excerpt of the choreo poem. 
Um, but if you are interested in checking out the entire thing, it's coming to Manhattan um, as a part of the Downtown Urban Arts Festival on April 24th. Um, so check it out and shout out to those two people who have already seen this. Stay out the sun for it rots you black. Stay out the sun. Ain't no spiraling back from black. The sun will tar your flesh, baby. The light will murk you dark, child. Teeth wide, white in the sky. Night sky, your face, smile, stay out the sun. Black burnt, brimming at its core, stay out the sun. In silver war crawling out your pores, stay out the sun, stay out the sun, stay out. My mother said. You should always wear earrings. How they gonna know you a girl? Girl, you black. You so black, you blue. You stay out that chlorine, out in them swimming pools, out in that summertime, out in that sunshine, or you gonna get blacker. Don't dress too dark, girl. Bright colors for a bold, bold gal. You blacker than your daddy, and he was born in Africa. You bigger than your daddy, girl, and he a man, and you a thunder thigh, and I'm a chicken little. You want some chicken? Some chitterlings? Collards? Greens? Don't eat too much, girl. Shine, but stay out the sun. Skin? Ain't nobody gonna know how to love. Ain't nobody gonna love you. You don't know how to pick up a broom. You don't know how to pick up a spoon and stir, girl, and clean. Girl, 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 get dressed. Girl, 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 wear a dress for church. Wear purple, wear yellow. It bounce off your complexion like a song, like a sweet, sweet procession. Girl, here, try these. Here, put this on and make you look mausoleum pretty. Make you look pretty. How? Now? While? Smile. And show them your pearlies. I mean, let them see them night gums. I mean, I don't know how you got so mansion build when your mama a shack. I mean, I don't know how you got so Vaseline shiny, girl. When you this black hair, set yourself down somewhere. 
Not on your knees. For they get spots we can't wipe out. Girl, sit here. Between my legs. Let me comb your hair black. Put some barrettes in it. Mama make you look real nice. You know, they say I swung Latasha around like helicopter rotors. That was the playground gossip. The after school altercation. The cause of the crowd swooning a cinema. Somehow we fought, and I still made it home in time for my father not to get suspicious. Third grade was the year Miss Jordan quit mid-curriculum because she said we were some badass kids. Third grade was also the year I had to go to summer school because I failed a standardized test. Because our teacher quit in the middle of the school year because she said we were some badass kids. Latasha's particular ass whooping, <laughs> though brief, was thorough. <laughs> and, was, and was maybe the third ass handling I had tried to deliver that year. The first time I shoved her, her back popped against brick wall, and she bounced back a bad check. This was on the way back from lunch, and while we both wanted to beat each other, neither of us were prepared for the beating we knew our parents would give us if they knew we were fighting. So we stopped, rejoined the class line like inmates, waited for the bell to sound, for the crowd to summon, for the meeting of cells bloodied after school outside the gates, they say I swung Latasha around like helicopter rotors. Say when I smacked her, the impact banged harder than the shit she talked. And I swear, at one point earlier in the year, Latasha and I were best friends, y'all. But Michael Perrier had transferred into our school. And he was light-skinned with green eyes, and real smart, and everybody loved him, and I had a crush on Michael, and Latasha had a crush on Michael, and it's like my mama said, you don't fuck up nobody too bad unless they was trying to steal your man. So we opened our flesh red on the pavement, lost our teeth to the grass, swung each other around in a field of concrete and fit, even though Michael, with his emerald irises, couldn't stand the sight of neither one of our dark-skinned asses. Okay, 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 okay. You can laugh if you want to. This one's funny. I've been practicing this one. It's funny, it's funny. You can laugh if you want to. Laugh, 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 laugh. <laughs> oh, it's nothing like a good, a good fake laugh. That was, a, that was a fake, fake laugh, but that's okay. <laughs> That's okay. Okay, this is good. This is good. Okay, 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 okay. I'm so black. Once I fell down a hill and someone yelled, mudslide. I'm so black. I come home, turn up the lights, and all the roaches sing out, we are family. Okay, 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 okay. I'm so black. 
fireflies follow me around in the daytime. I'm so black, I swim in the Atlantic, and it's an oil spill. I'm so black. (laughs) At night, (laughs) I have to smile to be seen. I blend in with the chalkboard. I leave fingerprints on charcoal. I'm so black. I'm a back to African movement. I'm so black. I pee coffee. My pussy ain't pink. My photos come out looking like an ultrasound. Somebody quick, turn on a flashlight. I'm so black. I never got my college degree. I'm so black. I'm angry. I'm a felon. I got pulled over on the passenger side. I'm so black. They confused me for the ground, for the dirt. I'm so black. I ain't a I'm just not buried yet. I'm so black. I'm ugly. 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 I'm so black. The moon is rising. Doesn't it? Just take your breath. So my cousin at school. She was Auntie Laura's fifth youngest daughter and was known to have the hood's sacred gift of the laying on of any of hands to any broad she claimed was jealous of whatever. Every time I come over to play I Declare War with Auntie Laura's fourth youngest daughter, the one closest to my age, Lily would tell me about how she got so mad she plucked out all her eyelashes so she could calm herself or how she got suspended for a few days for breaking a chair over the back of some girl in her, in her class. Every time I would come over, Lily would look at me, her eyes all wild. She'd be like, dang, Portia, you don't be getting into fights? She'd be like, you so big. Look at them thick ass hands, she say. I bet you don't need a chair or a bat. I bet you'd beat a bitch bad with just your fists. You don't know you are ugly until you meet somebody the world calls pretty. She had some pale, yoked colored skin. Would have been the centerpiece to the music video was who the artist would have labeled as Yellowbone. It's like Southside Angel sounded the street call and lowered Princella Lewis right into the metal desk next to mine. In sixth grade, ain't no miracle like light skin and good hair. Ain't no miracle like a pretty girl transfer mid-year and I didn't hate her. I loved the way her long twists winded down her back, dark and oil sheen. Loved her dimples, where somebody must have pressed love so hard into her and left such beautifully disgusting crater. The baddest motherfucker in middle school was Yakira Wooden. And her skin was a candy brown. 
She was on some high school Omar Tyree fly girl shit while the rest of us were still skilled at playing high stakes Uno at the lunch table. The hierarchy was already set up, but Princella came and transferred student all of that. She all, anybody care to talk about, especially the boys, all the people that is black and on TV look like Priscilla Lewis and not like me, so somehow she popular and famous for just showing up and I didn't hate her. All us girls did. Because desire bowed itself to her. She was a fucking miracle for being us and not looking like it. And the field nigger ghosts moved through all of us. I could feel the grief from everyone that the world hasn't sculpted us as pretty and that we believe the stature. Princella came and choked us in a glorious light. And I didn't care. But I guess I did, because <laughs> we got into it one day. We both finished a test, and I took out a book to wait for my slow-ass classmates to catch up. <laughs> and maybe that's the thing Priscilla and I had in common, because she finished her tests too. And she saw my book, and she snatched my book out my hand. And I know that ain't reason to beat the black back onto somebody. That ain't reason to transfer your complexion into bruises on somebody else's skin, but we all felt the phantom. Even if my 11 years couldn't give it a name, plus she only been here for three months, and the rest of us for years in a school already belonged to her. Yakira was already her best friend. All the boys wanted to juke her at the next party. She, a fresh pair of Air Force Ones, and the rest of us, the mud on the side, ruining the whole fit. And I swear, I didn't hate her. But she snatched my book out of my hands like I owed it to her. Grabbed it out my black burnt fingers like it was hers, and I was getting my book dirty. Like it was hers and I was unworthy. Like in this whole world, all the books belong to Priscilla because she was miraculous. So I snatched it back and I beat her ass. So before I go, before I go, I want to tell you about this time, this one time, where I was riding a CTA. I'm from Chicago, CTA is public transit, right? Um, but I was riding a CTA, sitting at the back of the bus, and this boy just wouldn't stop staring at me. Talking about this nigga was eyeballing the shit out of me. And I know it's because I'm fat <laughs> and got the nerve to eat food in public, but that's how y'all looking at me right now. Yes, y'all. <laughs> hey. Hello. Don't answer back. It's a show. A one-person show, which means y'all ain't in it. Keep trying to figure out why y'all came, why y'all here, 
hot in the seat while you looking at me like that school child on the Greyhound bus. The one with the sandbox blonde pigtails, fruit snacks pebbling the side of her face. She can't turn away from me. My hair and demeanor dark falls. She's studying the night for movement. That's how you look right now. You peering right at me and choosing not to see me. Like that pompous suit and tie in the elevator. You hunt me like that. Eyes remind me of the ones from the shop with all the East Africans rummaging for what they image of a woman is amidst the pattern in my shorts. They stalking like they mad. I'm exhaling on a breath they own. They nursing their young dickens to not catch the queer I contage. How my auntie be when she ask about my husband? Like them kindergarten eyes. Asking if I stand when I pee, I swear to God. I can't stand for nobody to look at me too long. You remind me of Tashana. When I told her to meet me in the bathroom so I could beat them headlights out of her socket, detach them eyeballs out her rectus for staring at me like my head just rolled off my goddamn nape every time I spoke. Like I say, an insects coil out like I am, you look, and I am not. Wide pupil, the fucking flight attendant when I ask for a seatbelt extension, I see you. Acting like you ain't come here for something black and ugly to weep for its birth land, I see you. Staring at the swole, dark dyke nigga ranting, about to lose it. How she lost herself. What's my woe worth, huh? I want to love myself into a handsome, pretty girl. I want to learn to love the flesh flab folds. I want to flaunt the murk they trying to kill, but I can't. Not how I want to. Not with you here, glaring at me. Hello? Your eyes are staring like a fist. Like a fit. Can I live? Can't I live? Can't I be alive? Shit, what do you want from me? What do you want me to be, a mirror? A reason to feel? Somebody to run away from? Somebody for the world to look at and think you look better than shit? What do you want? Hello? Hello? So it's called Black and Ugliest Ever, April 24th. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with me. I appreciate that. You guys are awesome. Let's take a break. We'll come back in five or seven minutes for Ricky Maldonado and Denise Froman.
Welcome back. We're going to get started again. I hope everyone's had a restorative five to seven minutes. Uh, and it's my great pleasure now to welcome Ricky Maldonado, who will introduce Denise Froman. Buenas noches. Every introduction of Denise's work to the reader and to the audience at large, I hope, I hope should point to her verse as an act of radical love or kindness, to her moral and spiritual clarity. Her poems are a huepa, <laughs> through which, to quote her, a stranger becomes an hermano, a dale, through which a crowd becomes a family reunion. This past September, I flew down to Puerto Rico where my family lives as part of a group of poets who have raised funds for grassroots recovery efforts on the island. And there I found myself with Denise, Raquel Salas Rivera, and Malcolm Friend. You see, I had gone home to my family with my family. When she's writing about piragueros or against an empire of crypto bros, Denise, Denise asks me, asks all of us, to turn new world, old order, into new world, new order. Build that future for them, tu gente, the people. She teaches me, she teaches us, but also for you, for that young Ricardo you once were, queer and living in the silence of your kingdom. How I wish I had the dignity of Denise's words back then. And now, when I read Denise's work, I find in the living that goes into this, this art, the hallelujah work of our bare hands, the resilience we perform day in and day out, that we draw from each other, the power to build, because we believe in our labor, because we survive and want to survive with purpose, to live on and beyond and to continue. And that's how the whole, the whole of Denise's work the dignity of her words inscribes itself on me. Denise, hermana, I praise everything you build. I praise everything you build. I praise everything you build. Welcome. Denise Froman is a poet and performer from New York City. She is a Canto Mundo Fellow and former Women of the World Poetry Slam champion. Her poems have appeared in Nepantla, an anthology for queer poets of color. Women of Resistance, Poems for New Feminism, and elsewhere. She's, featured on hundreds of she's been featured on hundreds of stages from the Apollo to the New Yorkans Poets Cafe and co-organizes Poets for Puerto Rico. Welcome, Denise. I have 
never cried during an introduction. Um, and for the record, for the internet, I didn't, okay? Don't, don't be tweeting me no crazy stuff about Denise is breaking down crying in front of the reason because she got an introduction. Okay, I'm a G. All right. Um, Deadass. Uh, it's, great, it's great to be home. Um, can we please just uh, have another round of applause for Kimon and Portia? Like, I'm telling y'all. I'm telling y'all. Um, I heard um, when I was listening to their work, uh, first of all, they're very hard workers. They have been writing for a very long time. And to hear the growth in their work, the manifestation of that hard work, is just an, a, a pleasure. But um, I also love when I can pinpoint who their work is in conversation with. Um, and I heard Douglas Kearney in there. I heard Dee Matthews in there. I heard Pat Parker in there. Um, I heard a number of writers who I, 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 uh, who I admire, and Tazaki Shange, like I, I, I saw, I saw the, um, the, their voices um, in conversation, and I love that you brought them in the room. So thank you both for, for that. This is a real treat. Thank you, Kyle. Thank you, everybody, um, for who uh, made this possible. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into some poems. So, so this first poem I wrote when I was in L.A., um, and I thought I saw somebody famous at the In-N-Out. And um, I started, started to think about a culture of exclusivity. Um, we are living in a very social media-driven culture where our lives are heavily curated online. And oftentimes what you see online is not the full story, right? And when you see on your feeds, you're ever like in one of those nights where you're binging, you're like, I just don't want to feel great tonight, so I'm just going <laughs> to do this, right? And everybody's life looks perfect. And there's a lot of like self-loathing and like you feel like you don't have it all figured out. And so I wanted to sort of unpack um, that kind of culture of exclusivity and maybe uh, dig into perhaps what, what might, li what might uh, live underneath that, at least uh, sometimes for me. Here's... Um, Everybody's famous in L.A. I want to thank uh, Vivi Francis and Ada Limon for the prompts. Everybody's famous in L.A., which reminds me that I just bought fancy sheets for the first time in my adult life, which means I'm fancy too now, <laughs> which is not what my three-year-old nephew would say, but absolutely how I felt when he said, Didi, you're my best friend, right? And it's like that. The first time I wore a black suit that hugged my shoulders and not my hips, the sidewalk lit up in a constellation of days-old gum, which is so New York. So I slow danced along the spectacle of Ninth Avenue and remembered that I have jumped on more than one occasion at the sight of my own decadence until a vecina who knew me back when I rocked bangs and an awkward long ponytail asked what I'm up to these days. And I couldn't tell her the truth, so I said I write poems instead of my therapy therapist asks if I know what PTSD is. The best front row seats I have are the ones to my own funeral, which feels weird to say because I dream I died and no one showed up. Nobody, except maybe for Stan. Yes, Stan, who fixed my flat tire with a hot patch this morning and called himself king. The world is full of VIPs who make minimum wage. I hope I'm still fancy, though I'm not convinced. Here I am, sitting outside of the in and out wanting to high-five the weather that pours out of me, but I don't know how. The only time I won anything was the spring of 96, 
Remember Lucky? He bet $5 that you could beat all the sticky-fingered boys in a game of 21, and when you won, you ran home with the ball under your arm like it was a winning lottery ticket, and your mother said, you better not dribble in the house, and don't you dare touch the walls with your dirty fingers. Legendary. Or the time you waited two hours outside the Reebok to take a picture with Magic Johnson, he slapped your hand. You wrapped it in plastic that night because it was going to be worth bazillions one day. Your mother ripped it off because saran wrap is expensive and food stamps don't pay for regular people's shit. When you're older, she'll remind you that her house isn't a hotel. So you better stay a little while longer, coño. And speaking of hotels, and speaking of hotels, I'm at a fancy, no, really, five-star hotel lounging on Egyptian cotton sheets when the wireless network says there has been an error processing your request. And I remember she did not break my heart. I escaped a violence, but this is how death makes a name for itself. What does not kill me only makes me want to die a little less. I'm trying to stay alive here. I'm trying to change my life. Where do I sign up? I'm trying to find the courage to say, no, you can't come in. I poke holes through the night. Baby, I'm a star. So, um, as uh, Ricky said, we went to Poets for Puerto Rico, organized a trip to, to Puerto Rico um, uh, last fall, um, and, and we were able to build community and connect with writers on the island. Um, and since it's been about a year and a half, almost, since uh, Hurricane Maria devastated the island. It's one of the worst natural disasters, hurricanes, in nearly a century. Um, and for those of you who are wondering sort of what's been going on since, there's obviously a lot to say. The island is still, there, the hurricane hasn't stopped. Um, and we know this wasn't just a, man, a natural disaster, but also a, a man-made one as well. And so to um, engage sort of the, 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 the devastation of now, we have to engage colonialism and the devastation of, of several, you know, hundreds of years of, of colonialism and, 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 uh, and pillage. Um, in particular, though, for this poem, uh, there have been, similar to what happened after Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans, there have been, a, you know, a, a, a group of investors that have descended on the island because there is now cheap land. There is a mass, mass exodus because you are neglecting the needs. Uh, there's a, a, you know, the, the, the social safety nets, right, are, are, um, are compromised, and so people are, are fleeing because they don't have their basic needs being met, and then you have people with a lot of wealth who are coming in to buy up uh, this land. Uh, this poem is written in response to a New York Times article called Making a Crypto Utopia in Puerto Rico. Uh, so these investors uh, have come to Puerto Rico, and they want to create their own city. And the name they came up with was Pertopia. Now, Mary Rufel says that, the, uh, the, uh, that etymology is like the DNA of a word. And so if you look up Puertopia, obviously it breaks out to Puerto and Utopia, and that essentially means door nowhere. Puertopia. The cookies don't sing anymore. They click. Mosquitoes turn drone. Metropolis of crypto bro. Tax-deductible greed. A door opens. An island drowns. A playground emerges. A boy, his toy. Depending on the faith, the most dangerous part of a wealthy man is his index finger. What he points to, who he lands on, 
a civilization, disposable income, pirate in cargo short, new world, old order. Meanwhile, we, diaspora, separated by sea, peel platanos and cut them on the same angle our mothers taught us to clap when the plane lands on either shore. Now, the beaches are gated and no one knows the names of the dead. Now, investors clean their beaks in the river and this is how a man becomes a flood. Landlord of nothing, king of no good sky. Watch paradise misbehave. Watch the night pearl into a necklace of fists. Watch this El Junque, a real god machine, unhinge her jaw and swallow the flock. Where are the Puerto Ricans, huh? Cuchifrito ghost town, battery-operated citizenship. An island is not a tarmac. A disaster is not a destination. Um, Kamon brought up uh, this idea of you, sometimes you're holding memories in your body and you don't really know what they're doing there until you start to write about them. Um, and, and this was sort of the, the case for me. I used to go to, um, to Castaner, where my mom's family is from. It's a very small campo near Lares, um, deep into the mountains. And used to visit my grandparents over there when I was a, when I was a kid. And, um, uh, you know, I've been trying to write into the space of the estranged and the beloved. So like in the last poem, the estranged and the beloved, right? The, Puerto Rico is both paradise and colony. And sometimes the memories work that way too, right? There's the estranged and also the beloved. Um, or maybe you write yourself toward one or the other or both. And so I think in this poem, I really didn't know really what I was writing. I just knew that I, I, I couldn't get this out of my, out of my system. And, and maybe this is a... This was the lesson. So this poem was written after I saw my abuela kill a chicken with her bare hands, um, which is very traditional. But uh, when you see it for the first time, it can <clears throat> have an effect on you. Uh, but uh, I don't come from women who sit you down and have heart-to-hearts with you, right? A lot of us don't. Uh, I come from women who feel too much to feel too much. Doña Teresa and the chicken. The wooden house in Castaner didn't come with air conditioner or anything cool. The heat was its own kind of music, and so was Abuela, demanding, sharp-tongued. The kind of woman, I imagine, whose teeth grew in because she told them to. So the chicken never had a chance. It ran around the backyard, flapping its black feathered wings for mercy, for God's attention. But Papa Dios knew better than to get in between a woman feeding her grandkids. I looked over my shoulder, and there she was chasing him. Like an old lover, she came back to haunt, yelling, Hijo de puta, sin vergüenza, ven acá. Her rosary bead slapped against her chest over and over like a chant, and you knew everything in her path was temporary. Even the wind buckled at the knees at the sight of a woman too wise to act like her blood was softer than it was. And I saw her do it, and I think she knew, because the chicken clucked so hard it spit up its own good throat. And she laughed, grabbed it by the neck, swung it high above her head like a propeller. Once, 
She gutted mom's favorite pig with a machete and fed it to her on her 12th birthday. And maybe, just maybe, that's how mama learned to love us, to kill the thing that feeds you. Years later, she didn't go to her best friend's funeral. Or the vecina who mothered her in New York barely made it through abuelas. I suppose all she had was to love until death and no more. So when we saw Doña Teresa lying in the casket, arms crossed, chin cocked up, the whole family cried and clawed, wanting her to come back, wanting her to shout, didn't I prepare you better than this? Okay, I'll do this one and then I'll do something new, new, new. Okay, cool. Um, so growing up in, in New York City, I used to get piraguero, piraguas after school every day. And, uh, you know, Dominicans call them frio, frio. Uh, Mexicans, Chicanos call them raspados, raspas. A lot of cultures have different variations of it. Um, I'm not, we're in New York City, so I'm not gonna explain what it, what it is. Usually I do when I'm like in Kentucky. I like Kansas, uh, but I, I'm going to leave y'all to this. Um, this is really just a way for me to celebrate the people in my neighborhood, um, the people that I come from who work with their hands. We have a very specific way we think about what work is worthy in this country, and we criminalize a lot of different kinds of work. We criminalize sex work. We criminalize street vendors. I mean, like all kinds of people who are making a, a living and doing what they got to do to survive. Uh, and so this, this was sort of my way to... Uh, to, to, to dig into that and celebrate that and also think about, uh, you know, the piragueros, they were getting pushed further and further uptown, you know, so it's a conversation about gentrification as well, which we know something about, right? A queer girl's ode to the piraguero. Because it has to be queer. I mean, what else, or why else am I writing anything, right? Oh, piraguero. My first lover, the only man I ever wanted anything from. <laughs> I sprinted half blocks for you, got off the bus two stops early, took the long way home just to see your rainbow umbrella. Oh, Piraguero, candy cool syrup god, Boricua Batmobile, wooden cart pushing, bobsled poppy. <laughs> When the viejitas asked for the 10th time whether I got un novio, the closest name on my tongue was you. <laughs> Who else made me break my neck in two? Who else gave me so much for a dollar? <laughs> Who raised hell when they nicknamed your island delicacy snow cone or worse, shaved ice? <laughs> I trusted you. The hallelujah work of your bare hands, the dirty white kitchen towel you laid over a fat block of ice, and never once did I ask you questions. <laughs> and when they pushed you off 9th Ave, when you packed up on 96, I only saw you after ball games on 131st and 5th when the hipsters threw ice in paper cups, added nutmeg and real ingredients like mint leaves. <laughs> Call this an upscale makeover for a poor man's treat. I wanted a shout out. No. Leave my man alone. <laughs> Tell me, who else could turn a blue shopping cart into a 57 Chevy? 
or a mom and pop shop. Maybe the Elotero on El Centro, the Chudo ladies by the A train. Maybe my mama, once the nanny, who sewed curtains for a couple upstairs, made an office out of her hands. Like my pops, who cut his saxophone until the velvet flesh of night rearranged the altitude of a palladium dance floor. And then a plump wad of cash, a worn rubber band, a 401k shoebox, which is to say, praise everything we build under the table. The underworld of workers and wielders, America's stumping baseline, the chorus of a country where two for one is the best hook to every good song I know. Like the way you turn my tongue into a red carpet. Like the first woman I ever loved. Oh, Piraguero, you winter my whole mouth. You conductor of cool. You're the only one I know. The only one who can govern the thick heat. Like a DJ scratching a glacier. You make the whole city rock. I was having a, uh, uh, I think that text conversations between friends are, um, raw, end up becoming raw material for poems. <laughs> I feel like we should just acknowledge that. Like, thank you. Thank you for, for opening this, but because it's, I, 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 I would love to talk about it more with writers because maybe our guard is down and we're just chit-chatting and the stakes are real low. And there's a lot of cheese men like bullshit in these text messages and shade or whatever you want to call it. Or maybe we're just being really honest because we feel safe. Hopefully we should feel safe with the people we're in communication with. Um, and uh, so I am, uh, I will not name this friend, <laughs> but I am on the soulmate search committee for one of my good friends. Um, yep, yep. So, so far she's done a lot more for me than I have for her. I'm going to catch up, though, on that, on that end, because she's on mine, too. Um, not really. I don't have one. Um, but uh, we were texting sort of about futures, and she had a very specific idea for her future, and it made me, remember, it made me like, recognize and fully, like, like, really come to terms with her face that I don't really, I never really envisioned, I never really had a specific vision for what a future, like, life would look like. I, I feel like I've spent most of my life as if I was some invention, not tethered to anything, you know, which is, which is dangerous, specifically in a queer context. We don't grow up seeing queer elders. I, I didn't. I only have recently in the like, last two years have made friends with queer married couples or partnered couples. They don't have to be married, right? Um, and particularly queer, queer people of color who are in relationship together. And um, every time, I almost get nervous when I'm around them. And I think it's because maybe I see too much of myself or maybe I didn't see enough. I don't really know. So um, while this poem may start out sentimental, God forbid, um, it really was a way for me to talk to my elders um, and, and talk to those who are... Um, mentoring me um, in life and uh, to think about m 
partnership, whether that means marriage or not, in a queer uh, relationship uh, feels like my brain is doing all kinds of radical jumping. You know, it's like a, yeah, I, I could say, I don't know. I don't know if I'm making sense. Because this is a new poem. Um, but it's, uh, that's sort of what was coming up for me somehow. So this, this all might change because it's new. It's a work in progress, but fuck it. Poem, of, um, poem upon which I dream of wedding with lover to be. I can't promise much, but let me tuck this flower behind your ear. Thank your mother for splitting herself into a hailstorm of yeses. Thank whoever raised you for their soft hands, for nurturing the wild animal of your mind. There'll be guests we'll call family, if only because they won't leave. And who can blame them? There'll be Lucy Pearl and funnel cake. I'll be dressed in a tailored off-white suit. I'll have stopped biting my nails by then. My hair will be short and curled loosely like your index finger in my belt buckle, ushering me to the dance floor for the classic hit from the great American vocalist ODB. Only then, only then to shimmy into suavemente, which the DJ is playing strangely toward the end of the night. No wonder everyone is still here, because who does that? And what living creature doesn't freeze, then look left to right, right to left searching for a warm body before the horns cut loose and even your abuelita with the bad hip has stood up and doesn't love make you want to forget it. That's not the point. We're drinking expensive red wine and eating $1.50 empanadas made by a woman with fruit magnets on her refrigerator, just like my mother, who is here and who adores you because you make sure I rest my bad foot and agree that Vicks cures all things. <laughs> And by then, and by then, I hope she'll call you my wife, which means friend, though friend doesn't always mean wife. And this is important for the countless veils we've lifted off our tongues, for the sharp glaring eye in that parking lot, the airport, the grocery store aisle was stocked with imported cheeses, the hospital room next to the chapel, and so on and so on. I'll need forever to replenish what almost separated us in the black eye of night, what kissed that godless field of fear. I'll need that long and then some to cut out the noise of a sunless somebody who might not love what has always existed. Take my hand and reader, let me introduce you to Cheryl and Sini, Norma and Elvia, Beth and Karen, Jacqueline and her sweetie, and, and, and remember, whatever sharp tooth road unfurled its mouth, they widened. Whatever narrow wind gust in, they left fresh keys by the door. This vowel-filled vowel, this long O, O ceremony of laced fingers, oh, under tables no more. Witness this, distinguish friends. Break out the tissues and the tubas. Break out the disco balls and disposable cameras. This glorious night is sparkling to an end, and all that's left is sliding joy into its proper place in the endless field of desire. I got one more poem. Thank y'all for, for coming out tonight again. Thank you to Kyle, everybody, and Kimon and Portia, um, and all of you for coming out to hear poems and what feels like so much more than, I feel like I just heard so much more than poems tonight, though. I feel like, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and, and they both have books coming out. 
Uh, Kimon is come. Do you know when? April 2nd on Haymarket, Portia O in the fall on, on Button. Uh, make sure you, you uh, follow them on Instagram and, and all that stuff and, and support their work. Um, uh, this poem I wrote um, because I needed to tether myself to um, something beyond the, the moment I was living in. Um, I, uh, I needed to write myself out of a deep silence, out of a deep depression, um, out of a feeling of violation. Uh, I needed to write myself in, into a version of womanhood that I wasn't yet. And I don't know that I am this brave or this courageous, but I'm trying to be, and I want to be. And I feel like there are certain poems you write that make you want to um, live a little longer, you know? And, um, you know, some, sometimes, you know, your friends say, well, you know, at least you didn't die. And, and, you know, I don't know that I agree with that. I, I think sometimes you, and that's not necessarily a, a, a bad, uh, uh, you know, uh, things are cyclical. And so, you know, I, I think this was one poem that I wrote when I did die, and then I woke up and I um, needed to write my resurrection. I want to dedicate this to Araceli's Germay. Um, I want to dedicate this to Sherry Moraga and, and Gloria Anzaldúa and Audrey Lord. Um, I want to dedicate this to Jesenia Montilla and Peggy Robles um, um, and Sheila Maldonado and so many women um, who make me feel more possible. And I want to invite you um, to think about the women in your life, uh, particularly the queer women and the women of color in your life, who, uh, without which you would not be here, who make you feel more possible. Um, I want you to bring them into the room. I heard a woman becomes herself the first time she speaks without permission. Then every word out her mouth a riot. Say beautiful and point to the map of your body. Say brave and wear your skin like a gown or a suit. Say hero and cast yourself in the lead role. When a girl pronounces her own name, there is glory. When a woman tells her own story, she lives forever. All the women I know are perennials, marigolds, daffodils, soft things that refuse to die. I don't come from anything tamed or willing. I come from soil, floss with barbed wire, meaning abuela would cuss you out with the same breath she kissed you with. Her blood, a wild river. My mother doesn't rely on instruction manuals or men, nor does she equate the two, can fix anything if you get out of her way, says the best technology is her own two hands. But once I dreamed, I had no teeth, just a mouth to hold other people's things. If this poem is the only thing that survives me, tell them I grew a new tongue. Tell them I built me a throne. Tell them when we discover life on another planet, it was a woman. And she built a bridge, not a border. Got God and named gravity after herself. Thank you. It's good.
And there's more. Uh, on Monday, February 18th, for Audrey Lord's 85th birthday, we will be showing never-before-seen footage of her reading here at the project, and we'll also be hearing new work commissioned in response to that archival material between two pairs of mentors and mentees, uh, Harmony Holiday and Tracy Morris, and then two students from Hunter College where Audrey Lord taught. Gabrielle Richards and Megan Washington. Um, and then we'll have a discussion with Adra Greaves, our Monday night coordinator. Um, and then on Wednesday, we have the Cornelius Edie Trio and Leonard Schwartz. And Friday, Sahar Muradi and Valerie Shung. So good stuff. Come back. Good night. Thank you to Kimon, Portia, Denise, and Ricky.